0: Live. Live from welcome to This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his hand. Follow me. Follow me for freedom. He's put it. Here's your host, Mike Phillips.
1: Mike Phillips. What is up, everybody? Welcome
0: to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, Featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. It's U.S. Open week here on the podcast. We are getting ready for the U.S. Open coming next week down at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center in Flushing. I'm going to be joined today by Ben Rothenberg, the ho- co-host of the NCR Tennis Podcast. We're going to preview the U.S. Open, catch up some of the headlines around tennis as we get ready for the Return of Major Ten is one of the last sports we really get back off the mat after the coronavirus pandemic. Pop Covers this week, the great John Stanko, the podcast resident movie critic is back. We're gonna talk the latest movie news and we'll get a detailed breakdown into how John Stanko grades his movies. That's been a popular feedback request for some people on the podcast audience. John's gonna take some time. We're gonna dive into his list of movies, give some examples of what makes an F, what makes a B, what makes a C. And of course, the important one, what gets the all important A. plus. That's going to be coming up in just a bit. But first, we'll go to this week's opening tip. I'm going to get some thoughts on the very, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a very nondescript trade deadline. I'll tell you why right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here are we go all right we are back here opening tip this week talking about the baseball trade deadline and it does feel really small We're talking about a trade deadline and a season that's 60 games and we've already had four different teams have issues with the coronavirus pandemic shutting them down for periods of time But it is on the calendar. It will be one week from today at 4 o'clock Eastern time. And I want to say I just don't see really how this is going to be a very exciting trade deadline. Because, honestly, a couple things hurt here. Number one, the expanded playoff hurts it. Because you have eight teams in each league make the playoffs. It takes not a lot to get into that playoff position. You basically have to get yourself to 500. I mean, there are a few teams that you can say, okay, they're done. The Red Sox not going to the playoffs this year. Pittsburgh's not going to the playoffs. Seattle's not. Angels probably aren't either. But that's really it at this juncture of the season. And what that tells you is that there are a lot, of sell- a lot of buyers, potentially, not a lot of sellers. So this is a seller's market. And the sellers, they don't really have a lot to offer you here, especially when you consider guys have opted out, you have the risk of people saying, you know what, like if I get traded from here to there, I may not go there because I don't feel comfortable with the virus situation there. I might opt out. That's a risk factor you have to consider. I love making trades. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that like you're making a trade for basically one month of team control and potentially a three game playoff series. I don't think anyone is going to invest a significant amount of talent in prospect capital. To get back an asset to help them win this year. I mean, a lot is probably going to be you know you got a 60-person player pool. It's going to be that. You might see some minor trades here. Maybe somebody picks up a reliever. Maybe a start, a back-end star goes anywhere. But this is not going to be one of those deadlines where Francisco Lindor gets traded. Or remember last year we had the Mookie Betts drama flowing around the trade deadline. They had the Nets talking possibly dealing Noah Syndergaard or Zach Wheeler. We're not going to have any of that this year. It's going to be a lot more of like shuffling the deck chairs a bit with a deadline. And it's really going to be a matter of like, do I make a minor tweak here? Do I make a adjustment here? You'll get more trades like the Mets Billy Hamilton trade where it's like, okay, here's a spare part that I can't use and you can use and give me a low end prospect back. Another thing that also hurts the potential for trades is that in the rules for this season, you can only trade people who are in your player pool. So any non-prospect that's in that's not in the pool, you can't trade them unless they're a quote-unquote player to be named later. So like, you could take the risk of trading away somebody, not guaranteeing who you get yet, and potentially not seeing them at all because no minor league season means there's no in-person scouting, if they're not the alternate sites, you're not getting any chance to see them work at all because now there's a software out there to do this. And the thing is, it's like, it's again, it's an issue of risk here. Do you want to push your chips in the middle of the table for a shortened season that really could be just a complete crapshoot in the playoffs? Do you want to throw big chips around and say, okay, I have to deal with this. I could still lose in a best of three series because that's what the first round is. It's best of three, and we've seen throughout the year, anybody can win a three-game series. I mean, if you put the Pirates in a three-game series, they might find a way to win two in advance. You can't just justify the risk of this, especially with reduced revenues, the fact that this is just a year where everybody's going to kind of write it off, and say, okay, this didn't really, really count. I mean, we didn't play the whole schedule. There's no fans. Like, I think it's going to be a very, very, very soft deadline. And it will be interesting to see if this sort of carries over the offseason. It's a very soft offseason because revenues will be down across the sport. You might have a big cash owner coming in for the Mets. We're, supposed to be, we're close to finding out who will win the team soon. If Steve Collins goes in, he might be a help in the market. But a lot of team, free agents might be struggling to find offers because there's not enough money coming into the sport. And that money thing is a big factor because a lot of these guys, even with the reduced salaries, still are making a couple of million dollars for the year and... You want to take on that big a hit for a month? I don't know. It's a tough sell. I don't think we're going to see much activity at the deadline this year. I think you could see the Yankees trying to look for a pitcher because they have issues in the pitching department. They could rely on the young prospects, but they may want somebody more proven. The Mets, we don't know. There's still too much up in the air at the Mets right now. I think the Mets are more likely to stand back, although they did raise eyebrows when they added a couple of their top prospects to the player pool lately they added matthew allen they added francisco alvarez the catcher and they added ronnie mauricio to the pool so those are guys who you keep an eye on you could see what's happening there but i don't think they're gonna do too much i think it's going to a very quiet deadline i think we're not gonna see much happening it's unfortunate trade deadlines was a lot of fun I usually do an entire podcast dedicated to the trade deadline that's not gonna be the case this year Maybe we'll touch on it next week if something crazy happens in the other instant reactions. I doubt it. But up next, we'll get to our interview with Ben Rothenberg right after this moment from last year's US Open. Bianca Andreescu won her first championship. The call courtesy of ESPN's Chris Fowler. First uh, so in so the so super so All right, I am back here talking tennis here, getting ready for the U.S. Open next week with the host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, Ben Rothenberg. Ben, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Mike. I got to say, I'm a big tennis fan. All I will admit, I have not been paying too much attention to the tennis world since the tour shut down for the pandemic. What is, I mean, I've I heard obviously about the Adria tour and the Positive COVID test it came from it. Mean, what are some other things that have been happening while the tennis world's kind of been getting ready for to the tours to restart?
1: Oh, There's been a lot of sort of um, a lot of debates about when it would come back. Wimbledon canceled pretty early in the process. I guess it's probably the major event. The French Open decided pretty early on also that it was going to move from its, uh, its late May, early June date to be relocated in late September, early October. Uh, so that's a, a pretty big shift in the calendar and a bunch of events that followed. That so it's kind of a mad scramble, and then a bunch of smaller exhibition events popped up, none of which turned out anywhere near as disastrously as the uh, the Djokovic Asia tour. And yeah, so uh, it, it's it's been an interesting time. Every player, unlike the uh, team sports coming back, every player in tennis is making his and her own decisions about what they're going to do if they feel comfortable playing at this time, what kind of schedule they're going to play, if they're going to play these exhibition events or not. So it's been a pretty pretty scattered. Had response so far. It's been kind of all over
0: the place. Yeah, it definitely has. And the big thing that's going to start next week, like as we're record, as and this podcast release, is that the the U.S. Open quarter, quarter bubble is going to be beginning with the Cincinnati Western, like a uh, Western Southern Open event they brought to New York for this year, and then the U.S. Open the two weeks after that. So it's interesting, I think, to see how these players look after this long of competitive layoff.
1: Yeah, we've had a little bit of a sample on the WTA. WTA had three smaller come back on the side, and kind of, un, not some common tour stops. they play one in, in Sicily, and then one in Prague, and then one in Kentucky. And a lot of them look pretty decent, I mean, a lot of, a lot of them the position was good, but some of, them look, some of them look pretty rough, though. And it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a, a pretty wide range of readiness, because whether it's people just feeling, uh, you know, emotionally, mentally ready to, to be training full board during a pandemic, and yeah, not everyone's gonna be that way. Especially when the, when the return dates for support were so uncertain. And then also, it's going to be a question of if, you know, various people had access to things, if their local clubs or their training facilities, whatever, were even open, if they planned public facilities that were somehow shut down by the government. So it's going to be a, a wide range of preparation. I think the top end of it will be pretty good, but the lower end could be pretty scratchy for a lot of players, which I can't really
0: you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how some of these tennis players adapt to the bubble environment for the first time, especially at the U.S. Open, which I go to every year when it's when it's physically allowed to, and the environment there is just so different, and especially at a night session at Arthur Ashe, and the fans get so into it, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of these top players adjust to not having that momentum from the crowd to carry them through some of these tough points.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's got to be a bit of an equalizer where... You know, nobody's used to these current conditions. Whereas someone like Serena Williams is used to having, especially in recent years, really, really vocal crowd behind her all the time that that rallies her and also can intimidate the opponent. I think see how many people are are rooting for the other outcome besides you winning. So they won't have as much to block out on that thing. So that, that could be an equalizer for the lower players for sure. Um, it's it's going to be weird though for sure. It's not going to the U.S. Open is so known for its, its noise and its electricity. They say and its, its fans and its, it's rowdiness of by tennis standards and it's uh it's not going to have any of that right now so it, it's going to be a very very different feeling to States, for
0: sure yeah it will be for sure i also think it's going to feel different because like so many of like the top players especially on the women's side either opted opted not to play for virus concerns or due to injury concerns and the men's side too also doesn't have rafael nadal or roger ferris so feel like you guys have a lot of room for some new faces to emerge and get, get towards the top close to the top of the tournament
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, from the relevance factor, I think six of the women's top ten are out currently, which is, feels like about the same as losing Peter and uh I mean, those guys are worth maybe even more than six of the top ten in terms of relevance on the men's side. Uh, so they, between them and Djokovic, Djokovic kind of you know, because this big three era has been so, they've been so uh, greedy in their dominance of it, or so unyielding in their dominance of the, of the tour right now. I do think that. Uh, yeah, Jokovic kind of has to place himself in terms of clear favorites right now, but, he, but we haven't seen him play in a long time in meaningful tennis, so we don't know how prepared he is and what his, what his mental state is going to be like or anything like that.
0: Yeah, I want to go to Novak for a minute because I talked to John Wertheim, I think, back in June, and he speculated that this would be a spot for Novak to try and come and basically steal a slam in the, in the GOAT race, and... It's interesting to see because obviously he's had coronavirus, he's recovered from it. This is the first like real big event he's going to play after Cincinnati and I think it will be fascinating to see like what he looks like. He's also another one who thrives on the crowd supporting him in New York and I do think it'll be interesting to see how he adapts to this environment. Yeah we're, we're going
1: to see. I, I think that he's somebody who has been a pretty controversial figure in, in tennis during this time. I, I think that he's he was to the one who organized the tour and got a lot of flack for that when it imploded. And just this, even before it imploded on just this general sort of uh, disdain they showed for any sort of social distancing protocols and things like that during during the pandemic uh, and how much that blew up on their faces. Uh, so he's gotten a lot of. He's actually maybe somebody who's potentially happy not to be around fans right now because I think the public receptions of Djokovic would have been pretty dicey at the moment. Um, so. We'll see. It, 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 he's definitely, definitely the leader of of the list of contenders, and then big, big drop your hand. But after, if, if, if it's not Djokovic, it could be one of the, a big handful of people. I think.
0: Yeah, on the men's side, like let's put Djokovic aside a second. Like, who else do you think like is the big opportunity for? Because a lot of it we've seen like the big three really dominate the slams, and you're guaranteed by very sure the draw that somebody not named Federer and Nadal is going to be in that final. So like, who do you think could really step up and make a big name for themselves here? Yeah, the obvious pick is.
1: Daniel Medvedev, who made the final last year and actually played pretty well in the final against Rafael Nadal, uh, he was the in-form player on the US hard last summer, and so he's the, the clear pick, I think, this time. But then if it's not him, but we also haven't seen him play at all, so we have no idea how he's, he's looking or anything. And then uh, Sasha Zverev, who has been a you know long-time talk about player. has been hanging around the top five for a bit. Stefanos Tsitsipas also in that range. Go down a little bit further. Dominic team, I think he's probably also talked about. Although he's probably he's probably focusing more of his energy on the placements coming up. So we'll see. It, it's tough to know really how they're all going to look and how they're all going to handle, especially for the men. Handle best at five, coming off of this uh, this long a, a layoff and have played in this incident event right the week before. It's going to be a very different physical test than it has been in the past. Though.
0: Yeah, I think cc is the guy I'm curious to watch because I feel like his name has been on the tip of people's tongues for a while, and like he's really sort of been in that tier right below the Medvedevs and the Shverevs of the world. thought like this might be his spot where he sort of like takes that big leap forward.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. He's, he's somebody who has, has had pretty consistent training. He's been based at the Mortoglu Academy in France during during this savage times. So and He's somebody, I think, who is coming with high expectations and won't mind, again, the veteran at all not being there, even if he has in each of them in his
0: career yeah i'll go to the women's side for a minute i do think that the biggest thing that this tournament's had going for it was the fact that serena williams committed early i don't think i think if she didn't it would have been a harder sell to the usda to try and put it together and i know she's been vocal in how much she believes in the protocols and how much she wants to get out there and we know that she's been chasing that record tying slam for a long time what do you think about serena's odds of trying to get it here
1: Karina, yeah, I think Serena is very in. Also, she's notable among the players because she's somebody who's had lung health issues. That's is not exactly what you asked, but she's had, someone that has had lung health issues in the past, or pops in her lungs have been pretty uh, life-threatening. And so, she's somebody who I think really, really genuinely takes all the rules and regulations around the pandemic seriously. So she does not want any part of coronavirus, but still, she's playing, uh, and she's going to be once again the focus at a Grand Slam, the way she always is when she's in the draw. Uh, and she has to like her chances here. I mean, she's attracting a couple players who've beaten her in the grandstand finals lately, uh, including Idrescu and Angela Kerber can't hurt her, her optimism. And she's going to have a much higher speed than she would had it been a full draw. So, uh, Serena has to be seen this as yet another good chance to get 24 and, and we'll see. But I mean, we, again, we don't have a lot of data on Serena. She played in Kentucky and lost in the quarterfinals, but looked okay. Uh, but she's obviously not playing to keep in Kentucky. She's trying to speak to the U.S. Open. So she's definitely, I think, as always re- in recent years, a player to be. You know, she hasn't been winning anything.
0: Yeah, she is another player I think going could get a lot of attention. I think the layoff might help her just because, like, she has, because as her age, and she's obviously really playing a little bit more than she did now. I think seeing how Coco Golf does in her second U.S. Open is going to be fascinating.
1: Oh, yeah. Golf is, golf is definitely somebody who I think actually is. Very plausible for the long list contender to win this tournament. I think that golf uh, has been trending in all the right directions the whole time. She made fourth round of the Australian Open this year, beating Amnesty in the third round to get there and before losing to the eventual champ uh, Cannon. So, yeah, golf is definitely somebody who uh, should be taken very seriously at this tournament, despite her ranking still not being that far until the top 50.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And who are some of the other women's contenders you think can make some noise here?
1: Well, the top seed is going to be number three, Karolina Pliskova. She's, she's the a number top seed pulled out, and she's made the final before. Uh, it's it's tough to know because we really haven't seen any of them play. So that's usually usually I take you know predictions for Grand Slam a lot more based off of who this momentum from its form things that. And there's really not much of it to go off of. Uh, Jen Brady's an, an American from Pennsylvania. She won the uh, Kentucky tournament that was held last week, and so I think maybe she has momentum as far as you can count it. And she's been playing really well as well. So I, I think she would be a, not a surprise at all to at least make it to the second week of the tournament and to make a good run uh, if her draw works out. So you know, we'll see. I, it, it, it's a lot of unknowns still. It, it's tough, to, especially women's tennis, has already had a lot of parity to begin with. It's tough to really be confident about anybody or to really rule out anybody at this stage.
0: Yeah, I think one I'm keeping my eye on too is uh, the champion from 2018, Naomi Osaka. I think that she also yeah. is kind of flying a little under the radar here. I think she could make some noise again.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's somebody who I, I'm not sure how focused her training has been during this time. She's been very active in a lot of stuff. Uh, she went to Minnesota to protest after the George after George Floyd's death, and has been generally taking up a lot of other sort of uh, issues and passions of hers during during this time. So she's somebody who I have a little bit of concern about what her training level is like. I mean, that's unfair. I'm not sure, but I really just have no idea. Uh, but yeah, but she's somebody who absolutely has the uh, has. The, the game to, to make them know especially in this uh relatively vacated field
0: yeah i do too if if you if you had to pick today and you had to say here who i think i will win the open who would you go with
1: i mean i would be lazy and just go with serena and Djokovic. i i would hope that their experience would prevail in this time but i i said that with just not knowing anything i, I think there's gonna be so many so many unknowns in, in a lot of different ways we're not going to really know how to how to feel about this U.S. Open until it starts? Maybe maybe a couple rounds into it, I'll get a better bearing for how different or how not different it all feels. But but right now, I don't have a, a high degree of certainty in anything in the in the world. I guess much less uh, in a sport that already has as so surprising much surprisingly
0: Yeah, I think one other story I want to track for the U.S. Open specifically is I want to I, I'm curious to see how Andy Murray looks as a wild card in the singles draw because mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm always rooting for him. I always. Found that he was a very good guy, very fun player at root 4. I want to, I hope he can may, maybe win around here. I know he's not going to be a big threat to go deep anymore. I'd like to see what he does.
1: Yeah, no, he and he's actually somebody who I think the would have helped a tremendous amount, getting more time to get in shape, more time to heal his injury, uh, more time to. get it, His thing was always always pretty good, but he's somebody I think will have really used the time to his benefit. And, uh, pretty eager to play in New York. And he's somebody absolutely who could, who could go on and run with the right kind of draw. To. I think he can probably beat a, a peak Djokovic or maybe one of those other three, four guys. He's like a Sestapols for a Team. Probably not, but I, I do think that he's somebody who can make life difficult for a lot of people. And as long as Puff holds up, and again, Puff playing best of five right now for him, but uh, I think that it, he could he could definitely make himself pretty proud.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And last question for you: talking again to Ben Rothberger the No Challenges Remaining Tennis Podcast. Obviously, like the calendar change mentioned at the top with the French Open coming basically like a couple of weeks after the U.S. Open, I feel like it's a big turnaround, and we've very quick turnaround. We've seen that Rafael Nadal specifically has pointed himself towards the French that have coming to New York. Do you think that the quick turnaround from what from hard court to gra- to clay is really going to hurt the people who come here? As opposed to people who are staying over in Europe to get ready for the French?
1: I don't know. It's going to have risks and rewards for everybody because if you play the US Open, you'll have a lot of competition practice and and match practice and high intensity levels, poor level tennis practice, which might count for more than being on the static surface more. So it it could go either way. I I could really make a case for either. Um, Ian Nadal. I assume, is playing the French Open. He pulled out of the US Open for travel reasons, but he still would have to travel technically to get to the French Open. We'll see. I mean, the French Open is still they' still have a lot of things undecided about they haven't had the clear sort of delineation of their rules and their are bubbled with u s open has so we don't know it, it, it's tough to as, as unknown as u s open is being a week out the french open is infinitely more being four weeks out now so uh we'll see it's it, it's gonna be a whole different uh, kettle of uh kettle of bag gas or something over there
0: yeah, I know the French Open is still. I think they were still evading whether or not to actually have fans at their stadium, at their at their courts. There, yeah. I, I don't even. Considering the amount of trouble the U.S. is having getting fans in the buildings here, I would be surprised if the if the French government lets them do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, what they're saying is, and this is what we heard the age part, of, like Europe is doing better with the pandemic, but uh, you know, I I think the way it's start getting worse with the pandemic is start having big public sporting events. So I I don't I I. I think the fans, is a terrible idea. Uh, they're talking about having they're talking about having the cost to like I don't know fifty percent capacity at the, at the tournament, maybe more than that, which is still ten like ten thousand something fans there. So that's that's way too much. I I don't like that idea at all. Um, and I know there's there's always changing government restrictions what you can and can't do. And uh, it seems like they are going to uh, go ahead. So I don't know what the fan end end, end of it is going to be. Ultimately, the uh, Rome tournament, which is happening. Between the US Open and the French and they just got rid of their fans or they just announced they have no fans. So I have to think the French Open will fall too. It just doesn't I don't think it makes any kind of sense to have a, any real number of fans in event right
0: now. Yeah, I'm excited to see how the end of the tennis year plays out. It'll be a very different thing for sure. Ben Rothman thanks for all the times. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people fight on social media and and keep up with your podcast?
1: Oh yeah. Uh thank you very much. Uh my podcast is uh at N C R underscore tennis on twitter probably best to find us and thank you for having me i appreciate it, it Fun.
0: all right and there you have it that was ben rothenberg from the ncr tennis podcast talking a little u.s open we'll do a little more u.s open later in the week but up next we are going to go to the movies with the great john stanko right after this All right, we are back here talking pop culture on the podcast, making his long-awaited return to the podcast after his second-place finish in the baseball movie draft. Our resident movie critic, John Stanko, is here. John, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. How are you doing? Pretty good. I will say it was close there with you and Al in the baseball movie draft. You just snuck it out at the end of that poll.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he had more of the, the traditional movies, and uh, I think my Red Sox still, still we believe video was very personable, but not everyone heard of it. So I would, if I had to give a reason for the loss, I would I would give it to that pick.
0: Yeah, I think Allen had the more well-rounded team, and I think that's sort of why he won. But I will say it is interesting talking about movies right now, because again, we're still in a holding pattern here, and we're kind of waiting to see what's going on with the movie world.
1: Yeah, the movie world's still in flux. So frankly, there was a ton of new trailers dropped in recent days. Uh, so I don't know when they agreed to start putting out trailers again, but multiple high-profile movie trailers were released in the last forty-eight hours of escaping. taping. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, there there are movies coming out in theaters in a month where theaters are open. Is the uh, is kind of what the the tagline is. So guess what? If your state is open, you can go see *Tenant* in theaters in a, in a month or so. So it's it's bonkers, though. I'm, I'm very curious to see how comfortable people will be to go to the theater once they are opening up.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, if you're a New Yorker like me right now, like, not happening for you. You're actually going through. You have to go over to Connecticut. You want to go see a movie in a theater because New Jersey doesn't have it either. But and I, I will say I am looking, keep my eyes peeled. I'm looking forward to trying the tenant drive-in experience. I want to find a drive-in theater that has Tenet. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, but I, I genuinely think if you do that, you might have to get in line three hours before the movie to, to get a seat in the drive-in.
0: Hey, what am I doing otherwise? I mean, I could put the Becky on the radio and just wait for it.
1: That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Uh, but yeah, I, it's a, I don't know any drive-ins by me, so unfortunately I don't think that's an option for me. But if you got them by you, definitely take advantage of it. I've never been to a drive-in movie. Never been.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, have, I haven't been in a long time. See, the something I'm planning on doing for this, because I might also try and go like an off day to try and go catch it, because some of these play like all like all the time. Like, I think like they expand their hours in the COVID pandemic, so they might have more showings trying to try and make up revenue here.
1: Yeah, I, it's like, are they worried about revenue or are movies serving more of a normality standpoint at this? I'm sure the companies themselves are worried about like AMC and Regal and all those, are worried about the money aspect, but you want to the local theater like, and is not worried about the profits more worried about like the communal gathering of like hey let's do something fun together and be safe.
0: Yeah, exactly and speaking of tenant like right now they are the one movie so far that's really said we are sticking with our theater plan we are opening where we can they're opening internationally first and then scatter shot in the US like how do you think that's gonna work for them?
1: Uh, I think that uh, U.S. fans are going to be furious that they don't get the first uh, glimpse of the movie with the opening overseas in place, too. I think that it's going to be a lot like a James Bond movie, which is traditionally released uh, released over in Europe first or over in the States. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a culture thing uh, for Americans to not see it first. But I mean, people are going to have to avoid spoilers. And, again, I I think that if... uh, If Warner Brothers had their own way, I think they would have released it on streaming. But I think that Christopher Nolan has enough pool where they would never, ever, ever allow that to happen. Because if you think about it, if this got released on streaming, they would dominate the streaming conversation for at least a week. It would just be nonstop PR, nonstop, nonstop for tenants. But I think Christopher Nolan is so much a traditionalist, which I respect, but he's like, there's no way I'm not having it released in theaters.
0: Yeah, that's definitely Nolan. There, no one was. Remember, we talked about this the last time. How he was trying to save the theaters and be the first one back in. Now it's not going according to plan for him. But some of the other big blockbusters we've seen like are doing like the split model. I think like Bill and Ted, this, the third one is is basically splitting between theaters and streaming. And Mulan actually going from Disney, going skipping the theaters, going right to Disney Plus or streaming twenty nine ninety nine for the premiere access. And unlike the Trolls World 2, where we have to buy it every time, it's thirty bucks, and then you can. Get it on Disney Plus as much as you want before it gets added to the service. So what do you think about that idea?
1: I think the fact that it's not only for 48 hours is huge. Uh, massive. Uh, because $30 for rent to rent a movie you only have for 48 hours is just too much money. So with that being said, uh, I don't know if I'm going to spend $30 to, to see Mulan. Um, and the reason I say that is one, I just, if I did that for every new movie that came out, I'd have no money left. And two, I really Mulan I think the reason that Disney's doing this is because there's so much money invested into it budget wise that they need to charge a high amount because it's meant to be seen in theaters. So I don't think thirty dollars to see a movie that was meant to be seen in theaters on your T V is I think gonna really be a detriment to the value of to the value of the movie, I think. So I I'm conflicted as to whether or not I'm going to buy it for thirty dollars. I think if I were watching with someone and we split it, I'd be more than happy to do it, but I'm not as excited for Milan as others, so I think I'm willing to wait a little bit, unless the reviews are just are just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I think it's an interesting test case for them because they said kind of, oh, it's a one-off. We're gonna do this because of a unique situation. But I think if they get a ton of money from this, it would not actually be a Black Widow. Is going that way too? If we have the same sort of virus issues at this point, in November,
1: they could charge fifty dollars for Black Widow and people would buy it.
0: Oh yeah, because Marvel movies, people would buy
1: it. Yeah, no, yeah, it's Marvel because it's the name.
0: Yeah, and there's been a long layoff between Marvel movies now, thanks to the pandemic. I mean, the last one to come out was Spider-Man: Far From Home, and I think in July of last year. So we're we're going almost like 15 months between Marvel movies.
1: Yeah. Did you see that actually news today? Olivia Wilde has signed a contract to do a secret Marvel movie in the coming years to direct it. To,
0: to direct it burn it. I did see that. The rumor is that it's in the Sony universe. It's supposed to be like a Spider Woman movie. That's the rumor I've heard about that.
1: Yeah, that that's the rumor. But i that's exciting. That's a, i like. I mean, I like Olivia Wilde as director. I love Booksmart. Like Booksmart was incredible. So if she brings that type of humor and I mean the skills she had with Booksmart to the table, I'm very excited. I like that move by by Marvel by and Disney for hiring her to direct that movie because. She's a name, but she's also relatively unproven as a director, so still a chance for her to an experiment. So I like
0: it. Yeah, as I remember, you say, "You're pretty much out on Marvel right now until the Mahershala Ali Blade shows up. Then you're back in."
1: Basically, basically. Again, okay. I, I I'm going to watch the movies. Like I'm going to watch them, but they're not top number one on my list of things that I must see.
0: Yeah, that that's certainly fair. And speaking of movies that you must see, I will say today's topic here things be a lot of fun. I have gotten some viewer requests saying. After the, especially as a baseball movie draft, how does John Stanko grade his movies? What's the rationale between what separates the B plus from the D, from the F, from the A? So, I think today we'll have a fun exercise. We'll dive into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I gotta try and uh, explain my reasoning and rationale in a logical way. So, that, that's gonna be my challenge. You gotta get that out of me because sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's just gut. I don't know.
0: All right, so. In case you're not familiar, you do have a Google Doc online listing the movies that you've seen basically, I think, in chronological order by release date. And it has your grades, yeah. the critics' grades, a little bit of genre stuff. Fascinating study to get insight into the mind of John Stang to look at that, at that graph.
1: Yeah, people have seen the list and they, they have texted me or, or let me know very vehemently the disagreements they believe uh, in terms of migrating and stuff like that. So I put it out there for people to see. It's also for my own records because I just I love keeping track of this Excel stuff and seeing what I've seen. So, and also I think the biggest thing for me with this list is I see how I've grown and changed as a viewer, as a movie viewer. Like I'm I'm currently in the process of uploading all of my grades to Letterbox, uh, the social media movie site online, and I'm like seventeen hundred movies in out of my what almost twenty two hundred on my list. And it's very interesting I remember when I see certain movies and I graded that super low the first time I saw it. But now looking back, it should have been higher. But it's about when you see the movie, like where you are as a person, what's going on in the culture. Like there's a lot of variables that go into grading a movie that aren't necessarily just what's on the screen in front of you. So I think I've grown an appreciation for that as I began reviewing my list uh, with a transferring to Letterboxd.
0: Yeah, it makes some sense. And just for the on, I'll put the link to that Google doc in the po- in the post of this podcast. But as of recording how many movies have you seen all time?
1: Um, I think I am if I scroll down the list, I'm thinking about two thousand one hundred and seventy on the list. And I think I have a couple that I need to add that are that I haven't added on yet. So around the around the two thousand one hundred and seventy mark.
0: That's very imp- that's a very impressive accomplishment.
1: I mean it's a. you don't tell my mom that she completely disagrees. I just love <laughs> at the- watching movies and she'll just roll her eyes at me it's like a crazy Um but I, I listen, it's what I do to unwind, it's what I do when I need to to take a break. I will say that over the past month, um, I don't know if it's because of the lack of new movies coming out or whatever, but um I've been going more to the T V show so I gotta get back into the movies a little bit. I was slacking for the past month or so with new TV shows I discovered. So, But, and, hey, it continuously grows.
0: Hey, I got to say, you know, also the sports coming back was also probably a thing for you, too, because you had your Celtics in the playoffs, the Brewers in the playoffs. We don't talk about the Red Sox today, but you do have those, too. No, we
1: don't talk about the Red Sox. But, uh, yeah, actually, you're right with that with the sports. Like, I, I've become a fairly big NBA fan, uh, so I've been watching every single NBA game since they came back, every game that I can, so... And yeah, the Bruins in the playoffs. there's things happening now for sure. But I'm still gonna find time, and I will find time.
0: Yeah, and I will say one quick thing on the NBA. I'm a big fan of the bubble. The bubble games have been a lot of fun.
1: The bubble games have been unbelievable. I I've been so impressed with the, with how well the players have played, and I think the playoffs. It's I love how I love how personal it is. It seems like with these with these players now just going at it. So. It's been a really, really good product. Major props to the NBA for making it work. And again, the day we're recording here, they sent out another press release, no COVID positive test at all for anyone in the bubble.
0: Yep, keep knocking on that wood that so they can keep it going, especially once they bring in the families after the first round of the playoffs. That's going to be the next big test for them.
1: That will be the next big test for sure. So, But I mean, listen, right now the NBA is winning. Uh, is winning the, the revitalization bubble, if you will, uh, in terms of things getting back to normal. But... I think also some credits to the NHL. I think they're they're the fourth of the major sports, but you haven't heard many hiccups in that
0: department either. And let's get back to the movies actually for a minute here. I think we should go from the bottom to the top to save the suspense on what makes the A plus movie like for the last. So we'll start with the F range. Like, what's it take to get the failing grade from John Snenko? If
1: you're in the F category, for sure, there is a guarantee that I'd paused the movie and walked away and done something else. Like, if it's an F. It's, it's like, I'm willing to turn you off and then go back to you at a later time. You do not capture my attention enough. That is a pure quality of an F-grade movie. And then, I guess the other thing for F-made is usually things that are super-duper um, cliched. Like, uh, like they follow all the same story points as one would expect. Like, they literally touch on every single stone that, to cross over the river of the movie, like, They don't ever try and take a jump or a leap and make something exciting happen. Those are probably the two biggest traits of an F movie.
0: Has there ever been an F movie where you actually just turned it off and never finished it because you were just so frustrated?
1: Napoleon Dynamite. Still to this day, (laughs) one of the worst scenes and just unsatisfactory movies I've ever seen in my life. And I never, I watched it in high school and I'm like, oh, everyone's quoting it. It's going to be so funny. And I think I learned in that moment in time, I don't like cringe humor. I don't like awkward humor. It's not for me. And that movie is chock full of it. It's like the only thing it is is awkward and strange. And just I hate that type of humor. So, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the first movie. And that's really the only one that I just have shut off and just been like, no, nope, no, thank you.
0: That's funny. As I listed some examples on my notes here, movies that fit the ranges here. And Napoleon Dynamite with FMI is one of the ones I listed in the F range.
1: Uh, yeah, I really, really, really did not like this point. It it really, it really was not good. I mean, there are, the thing about me, Mike, is I will, I will watch that. I am fine with it. Like I, I will watch anything that you put in front of me, like anything at all. And so like, I understand going into it, it might not be very good, but like there's the difference between a D and an F is like a D actually, maybe they tried taking some risks. Maybe they tried doing something different. It obviously didn't work if I gave the movie in the D range, but at least they attempted something to get my interest. Sometimes, sometimes though, there's nothing to work with. and It's just in the bottom tier.
0: Yeah. Other ones I had listed as examples in the F range, the 2003 Hulk movie, you gave an F plus. I think, is that the worst rating or is that the F minus the worst rating?
1: F minus is the worst. Come on. It's like like a plus a, a minus. So like, it's like the same thing. Yeah. My grade system's whack because I give plus minuses on every single letter.
0: Yeah. yeah, you have Hulk as an F-plus, Napoleon Dynamite as an F-minus, two Fs I wrote down, The Happening, and what I agree with you with, The Last Airbender is an F. That, I think, is still my worst movie I've ever seen.
1: Uh, well, actually, you'll be proud of me if I started watching the animated show. Oh, really? So, I have. I'm on, like, episode 12 of the first season. So, I have started watching it. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, those are all bad movies. They're not very good. I remember I really wanted to like uh, that 2003 Hulk movie because, comics, whatever like that, and I really just I remember they went so comic booky with the transitions, like the boxes literally transitioning between scenes, I wasn't a huge fan.
0: Yeah, I will say after you watch the animated show, you get you realize how badly M Night Shyamalan screwed up that movie.
1: Yeah, I mean I understand like with the with the, the show, the Nickelodeon show that's currently on Netflix and uh I I've heard the first season is the most childish quote unquote Yes. In terms of like the that, exactly. stuff like really, I'm really trying to power through this first season. Again, it's not bad, but like I'm not binging it. I'm just watching one, and then I'm like, all right, I'm good for today. Like, yeah. it's one of those things.
0: Yeah, beginning, the getting the middle of season one, they have some issues trying to like sort of like balance the humor with the serious storytelling. Like the end of season one, they really have a nice little kick there. Like once you get like to like episode like 14 to to the end, it really powers up and like the storytelling goes in another gear for like seasons two and three
1: yeah i mean i've I've heard only good things and someone got me into it finally to start watching it and we started watching it and again it's good it's good i am i've heard the the series finale is one of the best ever is, is what i've been told uh for any tv show of any genre so i'm excited to get there i'll get there eventually i'll let you know when i do
0: that does sound good. We'll talk about maybe down the line. I know Martina Puccio is also watching it, the last Avatar on Netflix, so maybe one day we'll all discuss it.
1: No, well, there you go. All
0: right. Next up, we'll go to the D range. What makes this? You said this the thing difference in the D's and the F's. They at least took some swings, but they didn't really execute them.
1: Yeah, that that's really the biggest difference. Again, it's a movie that it's it's a movie. Yeah that's the biggest thing, is that when you, at least like, basically, they're, they're in the batter's box, right? The movie's a batter. If you're getting F, you looked at three pitches and didn't swing the bat once. I mean, with the Ds, maybe you struck out on three pitches, but maybe a foul went off and then you swung at the other two, so you didn't go down, uh, like, just go down looking without even trying. So, that's kind of like the D analogy that I would think.
0: Alright, and some examples of the D movies I pulled from the uh, spreadsheet. Uh, I have a D minus for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh yeah, that movie almost got in the F range.
1: It really, really did. But because I like dinosaurs, it got in the D range.
0: Okay, that's that's fair. I have also in the D's. I have Scoob. You, I remember you mentioned you actually covered this on Stanko's Stands recently. You said that movie was horrible. Yeah,
1: it was not. It was super disappointing. And actually I'll give it. I'll give the movie this. I really thought it was like in like the C minus range until like the ending, and then the ending just. And I was like, all right, you're in the D.
0: Okay, that one's a D. Also, D plus the man who killed Don Quixote.
1: Man, oh, yes. I really, really, really wanted to like that movie. came out in original on Amazon Prime. And it, I really wanted to like it, and it just wasn't that good. And I'm super disappointed about it.
0: Yeah, I know. I think that movie, that whole movie, is cursed. I mean, you've heard the story of the Man of La Mancha and how they were trying to make that for years. And every time I feel like somebody tries to take adapt that story, something goes wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, it had, like the the one that came out in twenty eighteen had uh, had Adam Driver in it, which obviously I think is a phenomenal actor. Like, I really think that there was a shot for it to be really good, and it, it just didn't. It didn't touch. It didn't tickle my fun buttons, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's certainly fair. And the last one in the D range I brought up here. The immortal Rocky V.
1: Rocky Five. Again, it was I that I saw that back when I was like in the freshman year of high school. I'd been to all the Rocky movies and it's still the worst one. Frankly, if I were to go back and grade it now, it might be in the F range. But when I first saw it, which is the rule of my list, it's when I it's the first time I saw the movie. It's not the second, it's not the third. I don't go retroactively fixing these grades it the first time I saw it. So, obviously, when I when I first saw Rocky Five, I guess I thought the music was still cool or something, and it didn't fall down to the F range.
0: Yeah, I remember watching that movie. Like, that was... I mean, that movie was so bad. You could tell, really, they were just there for the paychecks. And at that point, I mean, Stallone himself, he realized, like, hey, this is terrible. I have to fix the ending of the series. so I got Rocky Balboa about, like, 15 years later. And this is Rocky
1: Balboa I actually really liked. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. But, yeah, Rocky Five not very good in the
0: d range in the d range and let's go to the c range next so c range i'm assuming some basically like average movie like enjoyed it fine nothing special
1: this is where most of my movies end up landing It's the c plus range it's the uh, this is where it's the hardest for me mike because it's the biggest difference between being entertaining movie and being a good movie it's like how do i like maybe the movie wasn't like particularly well made, but I was entertained. Maybe the movie was very entertaining, but it was super sloppy, and the story made absolutely no sense. Like this is where was, those are the movies that really go into the C range. And like I can tell you that from uploading my list to Letterbox, like this is where the majority of my ratings are are the C plus B minus range with a two points with a two point five or three star rating. Those are typically where my ratings end up coming.
0: Yeah, I, I I pulled some examples on the C range as well. Uncle drew a C from you.
1: Yeah, I actually with, with that movie. Shout out to was it Reggie Miller who was actually really funny in that movie and like, like in the movie itself. But then you turn on the color commentary of any basketball game, and you're like, oh no, please mute forever. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, yeah, it was it was an all right movie. I mean, I to be fair, I watched that year Kyrie was with the Celtics so I don't know when in the season I watched it because I can tell you if it was near the end of the season it probably would have gotten a over grade.
0: it's probably the middle of the year somewhere around there I guess
1: probably, probably when I thought
0: there was still hope yeah. yeah well Kyrie's on the nets now we'll see if he curses them next year Spider-Man 3 in that range also a C minus I could see that argument because they did a very bad job wrapping up the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans and that and there was supposed to be a 4 I basically got canned because this movie was so bad
1: yeah, I remember I really hated the Tobey Maguire jazz singing dance sequence. I hated that. And I remember really remember this was the first time where they overstuffed the movie with bad guys. Because they had the Sandman and they had Venom. They could have done with just one, one or the other. The same thing that really hurt The Amazing Spider-Man 2 where they just overloaded it with villains and, and stuff like that. So, I that's yeah, that's why I really didn't like Spider-Man 3.
0: I hope that that for the third Spider-Man, uh, Tom Hollandish. I hope they don't make that same mistake and overstuff the movie with villains again.
1: Uh yeah. I mean, I would agree. I think that, I think that's something where they want to try and appease the fans much by putting in as many characters as possible. But you can over, you can overboil the movie if you will. You can have it overflow, and that's not good. That just creates a mess.
0: Yeah, and the last one the C Ray wrote down was that I had at C plus so stuck out to me.
1: Sawed C plus actually that one. Probably should be higher. If I were go, if I were to go back and retroactively grade Saw, I'd probably give it like a B or B plus because of how much it changed the, the genre, if you will. I remember when I, I don't like the gory like the gory horror, so that was probably a detriment to it. And just in terms of my preferences, which I have, like there are just some movies that are tougher for me to enjoy because so I just can't get into them as much. Um, but I'm surprised it's as low as a C plus. That's the honest answer with you.
0: Yeah, I saw that. That's why I was curious That I brought it up, because I wrote down ones that sort of popped that I caught my eye when I did this, so that's the C range. We'll go to the Bs now, so what makes the B range movie? I know Alan Austin was, was skeptical of the B-plus range throughout the baseball draft.
1: All right, so yeah, the, the thing is, a B-plus is a very, very good grade. Like, think of it, if you're rating it on a scale of 0 to 100, that's between, what, an 87 and a 90? Like, yeah. It's still a very good grade, so the B pluses are very good, uh, because B pluses, I love like the B plus is a perfect grade for me because it's when I really enjoyed the movie, but I just don't think it's that good, but like I thoroughly enjoy it and I'd recommend it to everybody. It gets a B plus. Like that's kind of where that falls. The movie that falls just short of the A range.
0: Yeah. One of your B pluses, I saw it right off the bat. Terminator two, be got a B plus.
1: Yeah. Again, I remember that's probably the first time I saw it. I didn't understand truly what I was seeing. Um, and I'm guarantee you I didn't get a bunch of the humor and like the subtlety, the subtletiness of it when I first saw it. So that's the thing with this great system. It's when I first saw the movie where if I could go back and add another column to this X L sheet, Mike, to this movie list, it would be adding the first time I saw the movie, like putting the date watched, yeah. if you will. But I can't go back in time because I don't know when I saw these movies. So it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be worth it for me. But, I think that when I first saw Terminator, I was probably not into that type of action. I was probably into a different type. But again, B-plus is still a very, very good movie.
0: Yeah, some other ones on the list, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, barely gets in the column here, of B-minus.
1: Uh, well, that's the worst, that I will, I find Kingdom of the Christmas called worst. It's the worst of the original trilogy. Um, I really remember thinking the kid was annoying, and the woman was beyond annoying. I don't remember <laughs> the woman. Um, but yeah, I mean, but the thing is, it's also Indiana Jones, right? The B minus is like, that's like, hey, Harrison Ford can still carry a movie, be charismatic, and I remember the the scene on the bridge is still really, really cool. So that's why, that's why I have to be minus.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Other one, like a classic movie award winner, got a B from you. Schindler's List.
1: I remember thinking Schindler's List was way too long.
0: That's also a fair remember, person.
1: It's like it's over three hours. And it's like it's a long movie.
0: Yeah, um, very long.
1: Yeah, and I also think when I first saw it I was in high school, and I think I could probably say my attention to a really sad, depressing heroin character study. Uh, I probably was not as into that in when I was a sophomore, junior in high school when I first saw this movie.
0: Yeah, that's a that's definitely a while ago, and I do think. The length of the movie sometimes can hurt it. I do think, like, well, I'm curious about your take on JFK, because that's another one where the movie is very, very long. I don't think I've seen JFK. That's really? Oliver
1: Stone.
0: Yeah, that one.
1: Yeah, I have not seen
0: JFK. That's one to add to your list. I'm curious about your take. That is considered a very good movie.
1: It is considered, but the thing is, isn't it a super conspiracy theory?
0: It thing? is like, it is very conspiracy theory,
1: I don't love the conspiracy. Theories. I would have to get. I would have to get by that. But I know the cast is absolutely ridiculous in the movie. I've heard, and it's like it's over three hours though. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I should check out that. You're right.
0: Yeah, I, I I've watched the entire movie. It's I did enjoy it a lot. It was a, it did get long, like at the two and a half hour mark, I was feeling, but I did enjoy what I was watching. I mean,
1: yeah, it's got a cast like it's got Jack Lemmon, Gary Oldman, Kevin Costner. I mean, that's a that's a just a, a great. Recent to start with, so I should I should watch it. I just seem to find out where
0: it's streaming. I suppose. Yeah, I'll I'll find it out for you. I'll get it to you off the air. But to, one thing I have a, a curiosity about with the B plus grades. Yeah, you have according to your chart, and I know, I know this is based on what you originally saw in the movies. You have Forrest Gump with the same B plus grade as Rocky Four. Uh yeah, I would
1: probably I would probably say that. And again, I don't think forrest gump is a bad movie i think it is an overrated movie and i think it's one of those things where i thought forrest gump was better as an as a in terms of a well-made movie like i appreciated the acting in it more so than it being entertaining yeah um where i think i differ with people i think people watch the thing and it's a, it's a piece of americana and super entertaining and i just i never get that from an entertainment standpoint at all
0: yeah, so, like, I can get, I, I think B+, where I personally had, I was just surprised that Rocky IV was that high. That was my personal, like, question about it.
1: You're surprised that Rocky IV is a B+? It should, it might be an A if I were to watch it now. Yeah, it's but, the most patriotic movie of all time.
0: I know it's a very patriotic movie. I just, like, had a problem with the way they unceremoniously offed Apollo very early in that movie.
1: It starts the whole entire story. The movie yeah. took a rip. It took off an iconic character yeah. instead of Robo, was literally a killer.
0: Yeah,
1: and with Rocky Four, we don't get Creed Two.
0: Yeah, that that is true. I'll give you that. I did think also the thing that also knocked it down for me at the end was like the ridiculousness of Rocky like giving the speech to the Russian Politburo and then like basically basically claiming that Rocky is the reason communism ended the Soviet Union.
1: Uh, I, that that is the reason that the Soviet Union. Ended. <laughs> That is that's the accurate answer i think that you just have to embrace the embrace the cheatiness of it like again a movie can be super over the top to make absolutely no sense but if it's super confident in itself and if it like like guns akimbo i don't know if you've seen that movie yeah. with daniel Radcliffe, but the movie is nuts and the story makes no sense in some of it, but it's just it's super confident in itself I loved, I loved it from the get-go of what the director was doing and how confident they were so that's why N' Kimbo got a fairly good grade. Like I think of movies like that, and I really like
0: it. Yeah, I do. I do get that point. Like I, I personally enjoyed like Rocky three more because I love Mr. T, and I did like the story arc there of like Rocky coming on the top, losing, and like having to get rebuilt by Apollo in a different type of fighter. I thought that was a fun arc.
1: Yeah. No. Again, I, I would agree that Rocky three. I don't think I graded as high as the others, but it might be the most like. Through to self sequel story of the champion getting complacent, and having to rediscover that hunger. So, I remember, yeah, like I probably Rocky 3 would get higher now from what it meant as a franchise because it actually took a step in developing the Rocky character.
0: Yeah, and also a very snappy, like 90 something minutes. It also helps to pace that movie.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I that's one thing getting older is the longer movies you have to plan for those now because you can't just sit down and watch two, two hours and 40 minutes.
0: Or three hours, you're watching Avengers Endgame. Or three hours, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get to the cream of the crop here. Let's get to the A range. What's the separator here from the Bs to the As?
1: A is a movie like that I think maybe should have won the award. Um, like those, those, are, those are the A's. I get very, very few A pluses. There are very few A pluses on my list. But the A is the movie that I think should have won the award or get more recognition. Or, I'll be honest with you, a lot of my guilty pleasures are in the A category just because it's one of those things where you could ex- explain to me a million different ways why the movie doesn't make sense. And I may agree with them, but I just don't care. It's just, it's going to be an A for me. Cause the thing is nobody is perfectly objective when they look at a movie. Everyone has a little preferences and stuff like that. So with me, I just embrace it with those, with those, with my like favorite over the top movies that make no sense. They get A too.
0: Yeah, let's start with the a one of my A mys movies that stuck with me. Mean, Planet of the Apes. I, I agree with this rating. I'm very high on Planet of the Apes.
1: Planet of the Apes is one of the most cool. That I should say, I have to ask you which Planet of the Apes are you looking at because the
0: original. Is it
1: the original. The original was awesome. It's also, I was going to say is that the newest trilogy that came out is one of the most underrated trilogies of like of recent decade or or whatever. Like all three of those are really good movies. The original, I love the original because the the line and the reaction to get your claws off me, you dirty filthy ape. Like I remember that scene so so vividly. Like Charles is fantastic. The costuming is absolutely ridiculous and really, really cool. Um, yeah, I love the first Planet Ace. For me it's one of the most iconic original
0: science fiction. Yeah. Actually, I actually have a very interesting story about how I actually first experienced Planet of the Ace, if you if you're so inclined. Yes, yeah, please you Yeah, so this is back when I was in high school. I think, like, I remember this is strange because, like, the high, my high school just had an expansion built on, and then one of my classes was in the new wing. I forget exactly what it was about. Something about, like, tease American culture and, like, fame. Like, one of the things we did in this class is watch Planet of the Apes. So I basically watched it over five separate, like, days. Like, they show it's, like, bits, like, parts of the movie, and. I remember I sort of like got myself built up every day, to get more of this movie, and like once you get to the end, you see the Statue of Liberty in the sand, and he's like realizing that the world has destroyed itself in a nuclear war. You're like, I was like, wow, this is an amazing movie.
1: It's so good. I also think like I'm a, I'm a sucker for sad or depressing or profound endings. I don't necessarily love a happy ending by any means, and finally it fits that to A T because when that first drops, you're like, holy.
0: Yeah, it's a definitely a big twist at the end. Let's go to the A's now. And the ones I pulled here, Star Wars Episode 4 and Episode 5 both got the A rating from John Stanko.
1: Yeah, if I were to redo that Episode 5 will get an A+, because that's my favorite. So I would elevate that above, above the rest. But, I mean, I love Star Wars. I love everything about Star Wars. But I don't love everything about Star Wars.
0: No, you the, don't. We, just, we discussed this last year. We don't, yeah, we don't
1: talk about that. But like I've been a Star Wars fan for a very long time. I was, I grew up a Star Wars person, not a not a Star Trek person. So yeah, I mean these these are two of the original two of the original trilogy, so they have to get it.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you. I did point out as I went through the sheet, I did see you did have a couple of Star Trek movies in your in your sheet, as well as Star Trek Motion Picture and Star Trek Two on your list. Yeah, I
1: mean Star Trek the Rapid of Khan, I really really liked. Um, I I don't know if I really liked it But I remember enjoying it And then The Star Trek uh, Is it Into Darkness? What's the second one With then Comeback come back Where he's gone? Yep. Like People didn't like that one But I loved it I thought it was By far the best one of the three. Oh yeah So Def- I think I'm Definitely like, was Already there
0: Cause I think honestly so- Like Somebody who's familiar with the track A little bit more I will say I think that was one of the things Where like The movie itself was very good But It was not like good for like is not true to the Trek franchise. Sort of like, sort of like I think is their equivalent of Last Jedi, basically is the way I would put it.
1: Well, but no, I like this one the most. I don't care the vibe of it, whatever. I thought it was really, really good.
0: Yeah, it was really, really good. And we'll go to the A-plus range. So you said the A-plus, the cream of the crop. What makes the A-plus? What's the complete separator?
1: A-plus is I walked out, and I can't stop thinking about it, days, weeks years later it's it those are movies these are movies that honestly i would say most of these a pluses if not all of them had some major like revelation about how i look at movies like they they taught me something about about movie making or about movie watching that i didn't even think about before those so these are the a plus like they shaped me in terms of my movie viewing and how i look at movies
0: yeah, that's a good point. And the one I pulled out, obviously, the original Rocky got an A-plus from you.
1: Uh, i one of, if not the best sports story of all time. Like, And it's also, I love it. It was a self-made project with Stallone betting on himself and all that. But I maybe if I were to regrade it now, maybe it would be as high. I don't think some parts have aged as well. But when I first saw this movie and the music found the first time, and I learned, and I knew kind of knew the story behind the movie, it was definitely an A-plus for me
0: yeah, and y'all, I actually saw the Broadway version is when it was on Broadway a few years back.
1: Well, I've never saw the Broadway version. I How long was it on Broadway? I don't even
0: know. It was on there for about, like, a year. And then, like, it didn't, and then they had, to, I think they ended up, like, closing it on Broadway. I think they didn't get as many sales as they wanted to. But, like, it was definitely a fun experience, like, seeing it on Broadway, because I remember, like, we had like decent seats for it when I went and like one of the coolest things they did at the end of the thing was for the fight. They brought a whole like ring basically out into the audience. They pulled the, the first like 10 rows in the middle of the orchestra section up to onto the stage, selling the bleachers to be the, be the crowd for the fight. And my seats were off to the right of that area. So I was like right near Apollo Creed's corner in, in the play. That is pretty cool.
1: That's, Wow, I didn't know you could do that, Frankly, That's really cool. It must have been a unique theater experience. Like the, Also, the stage setup must have been Props to, to the crew of that production, because that sounds like a handful of setups.
0: It was a handful of setup. I just, just don't think it... I think it came out at a bad time. I, was, I don't think why it lasted. It was pretty good from what I remember.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the age of Rocky being an all-time classic movie, I think that is unfortunately waning away with the generations. Um, like I can, I guarantee you that I asked how kids now about the movie Rocky. Many of them would not know. And they would just be like, wait, is that the one Creed? Is that, are you Is we talking about that one? And, and then I would just shake my head.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I will say like my A plus is I do think it like takes a lot to get up there too, because like that has to be a very special grade in movie. And I will say I've been working through the list that you and I worked on the last time you were on the podcast one of the earlier times this summer, you were on the podcast. I've been going through the movies here. Of the movies I've seen to date, I would say, I would put Knives out in my A-plus category. In your
1: A-plus? Wow. Okay. I, I love I mean, that movie. It, I, listen, I, I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. You, it's in your A-plus category, but I'm glad that even enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was spectacular.
0: Yeah, because the thing I liked about it is, like is I've seen the murder mystery movie before. I mean, I've seen the murder on the Orient Express and stuff like that. I like that what they did is like they did it, they put it in a modern setting and they twisted it up quite a bit, the purse off your expectations. And I thought the way they did that, where they gave you like, they solved, they supposedly they solved the mystery in the middle of the movie. Then they solve it again and give you a different ending and then twist everything around on you again. Really well done. Yeah.
1: I mean, listen, the movie was absolutely excellent. and I, I loved the pace that which it was cut and directed. Like I think it, the movie it never dragged. It was always like it was like you to hear the tick 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 tick. All these quick cuts to kind of keep you engaged. So I love the movie. Daniel Craig was absolutely hilarious.
0: Right. Yeah, at this point on your list, I'm up to the Lighthouse. I just finished that, and I was not as big a fan.
1: Lighthouse for me, like, I that movie rocked. It absolutely rocked. It that movie blew me away in terms of like what I was. Like expecting to get and the the black and white the, the absolute despair in every single shot. It's the worst roommate story of all time. Like I think I gave that movie a B plus, and honestly, maybe going back, I'd rate it a little bit higher because the performances are unbelievable, the shot making is incredible, and like the random twists of the story, like they don't make sense, but they're not meant to because the two main characters are going insane themselves, so you don't know what's real and what's not. Like I I love that.
0: Yeah, I think that's you. I think also for me, it it hurt me because I watched it right after 1917. And I was like, okay, like I was such a high in 1917. I'm like, okay, this did not like grab me like 1917. I think that might also have impacted my rating a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess say so. But I, I think I would put the, in terms of like the strict filmmaking and cinematography, they're almost on the same level for me. Because the way, what you have to do to make a lighthouse and that outdoor scenery interesting. For an entire movie, takes so much skill, and Robert Eggers, who, who directed the movie, obviously did a great job. So I would put them in terms of almost near each other cinematography and like filmmaking wise.
0: Yeah, that's definitely fair. And my last question on the movie scale is like, what's your biggest disagreement? Where I've seen on your spreadsheet again, I'll put like this in the podcast show notes. Like, what's the biggest discrepancy between your grades and the critics' grades?
1: Oh, I don't know. I have some, well, I think most recently the one that sticks out is The Old Guard on Netflix with Charlie Theron. I thought that movie stunk. I thought it was terrible. But well, I looked at, I looked at reviews after and it's usually my, like what I would dictate like a B plus, like a B plus B category. And I gave it, I think like a D or D minus.
0: Like I thoroughly dislike that movie. I do think also in terms of that movie, I think part of the problem I think is just there's some, probably just nothing coming out. Maybe the creators just like, this movie is decent. Like, let's give it a good grade to get people to watch it because they wanted to sort of justify their jobs. So that's sort of my conspiracy theory on why that movie got graded so high.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I think people love Charlie Theron in, in the badass role, which he's really, really good at. So I think that also gives it some good love. Um, and I didn't know, but it's based on a fairly popular comic, I think. And it's like, I, it's like there's a cult following behind it already that I didn't know about. Other, I think also got swept up a little bit in the, in the reviews too. So, I, I, just, I really, really didn't like it, but I have some like, some major ones. Like, let's look in quickly. The Last Samurai, I gave an A minus. Critics gave it a C plus. That's what I have. 27 Directs, I gave an A minus. Critics gave it a C plus. Like, there are some even wider than that. Uh, Love and Other Drugs, directed by Edward Dick, that stars Ann Hathaway and, uh, oh, what's his name? Jake Dillon Hall. I gave it an A minus, and the critics gave it a D plus. At least with my, like my take on them. So I got some massive discrepancies. Massive. I would need to go through and let you know after what the biggest one is.
0: That does sound good. And before I let you go, you also mentioned you've been watching TV shows and streams and stuff. What caught your eye of late?
1: Uh, well, movie-wise first, I'll start. I have been re-watching the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. And man, so deep hold up. It's so good, Mike. Unbelievable how good those three movies are in the extended cut. So those are things I'm watching now. Uh, in terms of other stuff that I've recently watched, uh started the Avatar, um, which is pretty good. Finished Hannah season two on Amazon Prime as well. Uh started watching Rick and Morty, which I think you watch and you're a fan of, and that actually has swept me away with how funny Rick and Morty is because it, it it took me completely by surprise.
0: Yeah, it's definitely some good stuff, I will say. I'm excited to see where some of this goes. I'm also waiting eagerly for Mandalorian Season 2. It's be coming in October. I can't wait for that either.
1: They haven't even dropped a trailer or anything for it yet, right? Like, we're still waiting. We haven't heard anything.
0: We have not heard anything. It should be coming soon, though. I'm very excited to get uh, get my hands on that. I definitely will be covering that on the podcast throughout the, uh, throughout the fall. There's not going to be much else going on TV-wise. Let me ask you,
1: TV-wise. Have you seen Umbrella Academy?
0: It's on my list. I've been told by Sam Rosa to check this out. She said I'd love it.
1: Yeah, because um, um, if I start a new show soon after I watch a couple movies, that show might be it. It might be worthy of my pitch.
0: Well, Sam has given it the two thumbs up, and she's told me in multiple occasions I need to watch it. It's on my queue. I'm getting I'm getting there.
1: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, things are now starting to get back to normal, a little bit more work. There's not much free time on our hands, but I think we'll make time, Mike. We'll make
0: uh, John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with the stuff you're doing over at Stanko Stance?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever social media you want to follow me at, at jstanko99.
0: And what about Stanko Stance? How can you will check that out.
1: Oh, well, yeah. StankoStance.wordpress.com is a blog that's linked to all my social media stuff. Um, been a little inactive over the past week or so, just super busy with work, but going to get back up there soon and uh i think i'm going to have some lists coming soon of like some sports takes that i have especially with the nfl season starting i'm going to try to get back to that too
0: yeah it sounds good hopefully like tenant will figure something out down the road i'm definitely want to talk to you about that after it comes out
1: yeah again i are you going to be comfortable enough to go to a theater to see it
0: like i said i'll figure out a way if i'm i will get i'll get myself to a drive through at seeing it for sure because i do have people i'm living with who i'm concerned about giving it to so i want to give myself the safest possible way to see it
1: you're going to ride you're gonna drive all the way to Rhode Island to go kind
0: <laughs> of right? There's three there's three within an hour, man. One of them was bound to have it.
1: Oh, well then oh then you're fine.
0: Yeah.
1: I would I would have at least a couple hours from where I am, I think. So you're fine.
0: Yep, I'm good. All right, thanks, John. Really appreciate
1: it. No problem, Mike, thank you.
0: All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Ben Rothenberg of the NCR Tennis Podcast for calling in to talk tennis, talk U.S. Open coverage here. I also want to thank the great John Stanko for spending nearly 45 minutes with me talking about movies and all sorts of crazy nonsense with his movie grades, all sorts of fun stuff, a great conversation there. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my look at the state of the Yankees and what they may have to look at as the season moves forward, check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just And The Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find oral episodes there, including last week's double dip into college football with Matt Fortuna of The Athletic and Bill Bender of The Sporting News. You can also search for my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube. Our individual conversations from the episodes go up there as well. Including the conversations with John Stanko and Ben Rothenberg, will both be going up there shortly. So check those out there. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings. That mean a lot to me. I make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at three three one. That's m p h i l i p s three three one. And tweet me the hashtag US Open. You made it to the end of this week's podcast again. Hashtag US Open. You made it to this end of this week's podcast. A little bit of a short break here for our next episode. We're going to have a bonus conversation. I was with Christopher Clary, the New York Times, their tennis reporter. And more U.S. Open coming up at the end of the week. Until then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering podcast. I'm out.